0: Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up, and welcome to the Kaju Kembo series and Social Jello with Angelo podcast. Today I interview Rob Rowland. Might have messed that name up, and I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, he talks about his Kaju Kembo journey. And coming out of Austin, Texas, it's a great podcast. He's got a lot of great stuff to say. He is some of the younger generation that's coming up here in Kajakembo, And he's got a great YouTube channel. Check it out. Um, and we talk a little bit about that in the podcast. So make sure to check that out. Also, if you're listening to this on iTunes or any type of you know online radio, please jump on YouTube and subscribe. It's the primary way that I'm looking to get a few pennies off my show. And for those of you watching on YouTube, please hit subscribe. That'll be a, a big help. Much appreciated. All right, let's get started with the show. What's up? I'm here with Rob Roland. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for being on the that show. Happy to with the show. Rob, you are a Kaju Kembo practitioner, as I mentioned earlier in the introduction. And you're coming out of...
1: I'm out of Austin, Texas.
0: Austin, Oh, Austin. Austin's a great place to be, man. Austin's a good place to be. Yeah, I love it here. So, I guess one of my first questions that I ask everyone on the show, um, I always say this, especially with our Kajukimo people, and I I didn't say this question to you. Uh, I don't care about titles or ranks. Uh, I'll throw Mm -hmm. that out there right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Mostly, I, I care about validity. So, like, if... It is important. I'm not gonna say I don't care at all. Like you know, I, I do think that it's important to have a legitimate background as far as being an instructor and having an instructor certificate and whatever you do, whatever style, whether it's whether you're an MMA coach and you and you have a, a instructor's license or instructor's certificate that shows that you trained and and became certified to become that. That's cool. But that's not sure. really what I'm talking about. Uh, I, you know what I'm talking about. If you do martial arts. You know what I'm talking about. If you don't know, yeah. if you don't do martial arts, just casually listening to this in martial in the martial arts world, there's a bunch of titles and ranks um, after black belt, which, uh, right. which you know, people have their opinions about it. But I still ask because people mm-hmm. that are watching are listening and wondering. <laughs> sure, so sure. I, I do ask, what is what is your uh, rank or or title in
1: in Kembo? So. I wish I had my uh, belt certificate with me here on the wall so I could point to what it says officially, but I have that hanging up in my dojo. But officially by the paperwork, I am a third degree black belt titled Sifu. Um, When I first got my black belt, I didn't consider myself an instructor. I was still just doing martial arts with my friends, and then when I was told I had to start using a title, I jokingly told my students at the time that they could call me Super Sensei, and it (laughs) kind of stuck. (laughs) <laughs> um, so that's the title that I tell people. You can call me Rob. I prefer you call me Rob. If you call me Sifu, I'm not going to turn around when you look at me or when you talk to me. But if you call me Super Sensei, I'll definitely know you're talking to me. That's the only – that's my title. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Cool, cool. All right. So, so there, there you have it. If, if, you call, if you're training with Rob, you can call him Super Sensei. So, <laughs> 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 so brother, um, looking at some of the questions I said, so how did you start your martial arts journey? How did, that, how did that get started for you?
1: Um, I mean, I was a kid in the 90s. You know, Power Rangers was on all the time, and I think I watched every single day multiple episodes. I had the VHSs, so I definitely ran those out. And I always knew that I wanted to do martial arts, um, and I especially wanted to do the ninja stuff. So ninjutsu is what my big, big love was. I was like, I don't want to do karate. It looks kind of dumb. I want to wear the mask because that looks really awesome. I didn't know where to find that. Um, but when I went to middle school, there was jujitsu next to my school, and I was like, ah, it's close enough, whatever, it's a couple-letter difference. Um, I was not ready for what jujitsu was. Um, my first class, my first couple classes, just I got thrown around a lot, it was not, there was no swords, there was no masks, it was just, it was jujitsu, it was Brazilian jujitsu, jitsu um, And it was fun, but I wasn't ready for it mentally, um, so I kind of quit that after about a year or so, I want to say. And then in seventh grade, it turns out there actually was a budo Taijutsu or ninjitsu school in my area, so I went to that. Um, And that was full-on swords, flips, sometimes a mask. Uh, My instructor was insane. He sold the dojo in my second year, and we started training out in the park. Um, And he would beat us up with sticks. But I did that until about, uh, I want to say I made it to green belt, maybe brown belt. I don't remember. Uh, At that point, I was like, I'm tired of training in the dirt. It's Texas. It's 110 degrees out. I want to train indoors. And I started to watch more UFC. I started to watch more MMA, and I was like, it doesn't look like what I'm doing. And at this point, I'm in high school. I've been in a few fights, if you want to call them that, and they didn't, they don't look anything like what my training looks like. I watch Fight Quest, and I see Kajikembo, and I'm like, well, they, they're they doing MMA, kind of, and they're wearing a gi. I, keep, I want to keep wearing the gi. There's a Kajikembo school in my area, so I transitioned to that. So that's like my first... Those are three starts to martial arts for me, but it was once I walked into the jiu-jitsu gym, I was like, I'm never going to stop going to these places. I just need to find the one that I like.
0: And what's something that you noticed between uh kajakambo and the other styles that you trained in at that point
1: um i mean the big one is jiu-jitsu is going to be different from almost any other martial art when you think of martial arts you know like i said I, i was expecting flips i was expecting swords and it wasn't that it was to a casual listener it was just wrestling which is great and there's very little of that in kajukenbo the way i train it the way i've trained it i should say i'm trying to bring a lot more brazilian jiu-jitsu into kajukenbo um and then Taijutsu and kajukenbo are just worlds apart i loved it i had a lot of fun like i said i used to flip myself off of tree branches i was like stealth crawling across the grass and that was a lot of fun but it was that it was fun it was fun games it wasn't martial arts it was just larping in a black (laughs) key All right. All right. No so yeah. disrespect to Taijutsu, but like they're not fighting. They're they're LARPing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole. Okay. Uh <laughs> let's go there. So, my I try to limit my talk time on this show when I interview people, so I'm going to try to keep this as quick as possible. I live in Japan and When I came out to Japan, I discovered that ninjutsu is not at all what Americans perceive ninjutsu to be. Uh, In Japan, they pretty much view people who do ninjutsu as the same kind of people in America that we would view doing a renaissance fair. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I think that would be a quick way of saying it without taking up too much of your time. So yeah, that's... That's that's what happened. That was my shock when I came to Japan because I thought mm. ninjutsu was a style. Like like, oh, you will find um, styles of bushido or styles of kendo. You will find traditional martial arts styles that are related to the samurai that are still being practiced mm. in Japan. But you will, yeah. I think there's only two schools that practice mm. ninjutsu, and it's one of them's practiced at an amusement park, and right. and the people they train end up were working at the amusement park. So there's um. Yeah, I'm gonna cut my talk time to to that. Yeah, <laughs> that was one of my shocks about about it because I, I was I was a big fan of ninjutsu growing up as well. Eighties, the, the the whole eighties thing, yeah, like Ninja Turtles yeah. and Power Rangers and uh, Ninja Gaiden for for those of you who mm-hmm. played Nintendo. <laughs> so yeah, and so you went there. You you did some Brazilian jiu jitsu. You did some ninjutsu. Mm-hmm. You. Came to Kajakembo, what did you think? Like, well, you saw, what did you see? What did you, what were your thoughts, your initial
1: thoughts? My initial walking in the door thought was, sweet, they wear black geese. I already have three of those, so I don't have to get another one. That's perfect. (laughs) Um, And then the school that I first went to, the head instructor had an assistant instructor who was a boxing coach. So I walked in, and on my right, someone's doing forms. And on my left, there's a team of people doing boxing. And I don't know that it's two separate programs at this point. And at this point, it really isn't. It's like class A becomes class B, class B becomes class A. And I was like, this looks like what fighting should look like. This looks like they're doing the tradition, which I thought was really cool. Like forms are cool looking. And then they're doing the stuff that's practical and immediate. They, they're doing stuff that's violent. And I like to, I like the combination of it. And then they're doing it with you know the traditional Chinese bow that they don't really do anywhere else um you know there's the culture still there it's mma with the culture of that a martial arts nerd wants that the ninjutsu nerd still wants
0: cool 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 yeah and then i i gotta go back i gotta go back to it i I know and this is i told you when i said to the questions i'm gonna ask you some more like questions based on what you said and Mm. i guess my question to you going a little more into the ninjutsu I know that in America, the the guy who's really in ninjutsu that a lot of people talk about is Stephen Haynes. Hayes, Stephen mm-hmm. Hayes, Stephen Hayes, Stephen K Hayes. Stephen K. Hayes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Was the school that you originally went to associated with that, or was it something different?
1: So, at least for my dojo, the dojo that I went to, there was like a "don't say his name" Ooh. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so it's this is really funny. Like this is some old drama that. If you go down the Marshall Tark Forum, you'll figure out who I am because I'm the person bashing <laughs> Buddha Taijutsu the worst because I'm 15 and I'm salty about what's going on. But I was told when I went there that Stephen K. Hayes sp- uh, split off from the Bujinkan, which is the head organization. And he split off very rudely, said, I am the new Soke of my system, um, and just insulted the current Grandmaster to the point where, and this is the rumor that I heard, obviously I've never been there, the Grandmaster took his certificate off the wall and threw it across the room. And it was like, he is not affiliated with us anymore. If you train with him, you are not affiliated with us anymore. And my sensei tells me this, and I'm like, I'm never talking to that man. Never in my life will I talk to that man. I won't ever disrespect the organization like that. Again, I'm 13, 14 years old. But within six months of me training at this place, my sensei announces to us all, so you know that I run my own ministry. I have my own uh, evangelical ministry. And I've decided that the Bujinkan worships demons and so i I like oh please go continue this is good i would like to i am formally splitting from the bujin khan we will still be teaching the material i have the blessing of the grandmaster but as of right now the only grandmaster i serve is jesus christ and so we're replacing the demonology with christ and i'm just like do i still get to use my shinai i spent a lot of money on this equipment like i don't like what he's saying but i'm like i spent the money my mom is paying for me to be here what's going to change for me he's like nothing i'm like all right cool great whatever do whatever you want yeah. i guess all that stuff about disrespecting the organization we're just going to pretend i didn't say it
0: and, and just for any listeners uh to clear up some stuff this is the kaju campbell series and I, I will say like nothing against religion or anything kaju campbell originally was a was a Christian martial art as it started off as, and then it became secular as it, as it evolved. So uh, nothing against, you know, whatever was going on as far as religious stuff. But, um, wow. Okay. So I have more questions <laughs> that just <laughs> led me. This is just leading me to more questions. Uh, I guess my other question is, so there is, uh, before, before all that, there, there obviously is an official ninjitsu place in mm-hmm. in the U.S. with ninjitsu schools across the U.S. Did they mention any ties to Japan?
1: Um, so there's Stephen K. Hayes Toshindo, mm-hmm. which is he mentions briefly that he trained in Japan as far as I can remember. Okay. he never really pays. He never really pays more than lip service to the Bujinkan. Okay, um, and then there's. There's the Frank Dukes stuff that comes out every once in a while. Um, For me, every time I've heard Frank Dukes, even as a kid, I was like, I don't really trust the guy if he had Jean-Claude Van Damme make a movie about him. That's fiction for me. It's a good movie. But if Jean-Claude Van Damme made a movie about you, it's probably fictional. Um, So for me, it was always the Bujinkan was the legitimate ninjutsu. And then you realize later on, you're like, oh, it's not. It's like it's judo old. It's as old as judo is.
0: Okay, so, and that that originated in Japan in, in America. In Japan, yes.
1: Okay. Yes. Okay. So let's see. Let's see how good my because we had to recite the history for some of our classes. So there was so the current grandmaster or the former grandmaster, he just retired, was Masaki Hatsumi, and he ran the Bujinkan organization worldwide. He trained out of Japan, out of Noda City, I think. Nada? I want to say Nada, Nada. Yeah. I okay. think I think that's where it's based out of. I could be wrong. No, uh, that, I, but that's where. I, I, go ahead. Everyone who was fifth degree went. to get your fifth degree black belt, you had to go there, and then he would say, "All right, great. You're going to Brazil. You're going to Liberia. wherever, You're going here to create a school." Um, and everyone would essentially get ranked up through there. You had to be officially ranked through him. Um, from there, there was uh, the Genbu Khan and the Jin Khan. They were all offshoots. that were like, we want to focus more on traditional weapons as opposed to empty hand stuff, or we want to focus more on m- modern weapons, stuff like that. Um, but it all comes back from him. And he was trained by oh, Takamatsu sensei, um, who the story is blurry as I understand it. He codified what we know as ninjutsu, but it wasn't ninjutsu when it was taught to him. He learned, a, he learned like 12 different martial arts that ranged from like empty hand, traditional Japanese jujutsu uh, with the armor on, with the armor off, Tanto Jutsu, uh, Yorai with the bow and arrow, all that stuff. And he put that together into Ninjutsu or Taijutsu. I'm not really sure which one he chose to call it. Um, okay. So it's, yeah, it's, it's about as old as Judo is. So it's like late 1800s.
0: Was that associated with the Koga or the
1: Iga? I don't know. I've never, that's the thing like, when you when you get out of it, you're like, I don't know. This doesn't really relate to the history of ninja as I've seen it in popular media.
0: Yeah, that, that, so that, I, yeah. That, I was just wondering. Like, I'll. I'll yeah. That that's that. Yeah, that was that was the only thing.
1: Yeah. Okay. I think I heard brief mention to Iga. Okay. At some point.
0: That makes sense. That's that's the one in the counter in the in the in the region yeah. that I'm in. So when I mentioned, but you don't know like,
1: anything about ninjas. They're all.
0: You don't see them. <laughs> Yeah, Gekko. Exactly. To... <laughs> they're doing a great. They're doing a great job. I haven't seen them. <laughs> but no, actually, to just kind of, and I, for those of you listening that wanted more of the Kazuchikimbo story, we are getting back to that in a bit. Yeah. But I just want to mention one thing yeah. that it brings in is that there was an article recently that was printed out in a. Uh, and it went onto mass media, but it was also here in Japan. They were looking for more people to go to that amusement park that was tied to the ego. That's probably tied to the school that you're talking about it's probably 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 the same guy and um he's losing mem he was losing members and he was looking for more people to move out to that countryside area that he's in where they have their amusement park and where they send people you know Mm. to spread that sure whatever that is and um yeah so like yeah that's that's kind of tied to that so that that makes sense it's kind of the same there's a connection there which is why, what, yeah. which is why I was asking, because there's also to clear it up for anybody listening to any of my podcast listeners. There's also some major quackery happening. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> with I'm, I'm going to say it again, <laughs> and if this is so you don't have to get in trouble. Yeah, Ninjutsu is fun. Yeah, if you walk in there with the idea of I want to have fun. I want to learn a fun culture. Do that. If you're going to claim that you can beat up twenty people with just a shuriken in your hand. Just go have fun. Just have fun. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, that, that, that's that's. What, but I, I guess I guess I mean. Yeah. Technically, we can say there's major quackery happening in a lot of different martial arts. To to yeah. be to be honest, not just ninjutsu, but that's that's, true. that's just something that I I wanted to throw out there, which is why I'm asking questions. Because even though there is some major quackery, like people who mm. straight out self proclaim themselves to be masters, there is a little bit of some sort of. Associations and if and what you just mentioned earlier about the Koga Iga, and there's a sky in Nara, there is some association. There's some people that have established a group of people that are all, yeah, kind of have a formalized something going on, which is better than some guy who's, I don't know. I've met some pretty crazy people that said they did ninjutsu, and they, I I don't think they ever did anything. (laughs)
1: Yeah,
0: (laughs) okay, so coming back to our Kaju series. (laughs) Okay, after, back to after after when that, I got the black belt that, thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my question is, so you started doing kajukenbo, Kembo, You start training. You like it. Um, When did you know, when did you figure out that this was for you, this was something that you were going to do to the black belt? Like, that's, that's kind of a decision that every martial artist goes into. You walk into a place. Some people walk in knowing they're going to get a black belt, wanting to get a black belt. Some people don't know. They just start training and halfway through. They kind of figure it out. How how was your mindset in the middle of all that?
1: Um, so as a kid, obviously, I knew what the... Bla- I thought I knew what the black belt meant. I thought black belt meant, master, you've got it. You can kick any ass, whoever's they just need to present it for you. <laughs> um, and we're going to actually go back to ninjutsu again for a second. When I went to ninjutsu, what I will say, I think this shaped my entire philosophy about martial arts. I got tested for my yellow belt without knowing that I was being tested. The way he ran it was essentially... You would walk into class. He wouldn't like Normally, we would, he would open with a joke. He would say hi to everyone. He'd give hugs, whatever. Um, and then we'd start training. But if you were being tested, he would bow. You, everyone would line up. He'd do the introduction. We'd bow again. And then we'd start running through the material. Every single person in there would start running through the material. What I didn't know at the time was he had told everyone else, hey, I'm going to test X, Y, or Z. Um, so we're going to see how he does. Don't help him. Don't say anything. We're going to do it together, but we're going to see how he does. And that was me. I was X, Y, or Z. Um, so I run through the class, and I'm not thinking about it. I'm just like, all right, cool. I guess sometimes we have to run the material. That makes sense. Um, and then the class ends. He, had, he comes talks to me, and then he walks, turns around, grabs his gym bag, pulls out a yellow belt, and throws it at me. Like, doesn't say anything, just chucks it at me. Thankfully, I grab it. That would have been really embarrassing if I hadn't, um, but I grabbed it, and then he was like, don't come back with the white belt anymore. And that was all the belt tests. That was all the ones that I saw. That was how I kept ranking up. It wasn't always he threw it at you, but you didn't know you were being tested. Um, so that shaped the attitude to me of like, this thing is a piece of cloth. It's something that he already knew I was going to get walking into that class. I didn't know I was going to get before I got to that. Before I got to the dojo. Um, so when I walked into kajukenbo, I was just like, I'm not going to. I don't care about the belt at this point. Um, if I get it, that's great. But I just want to train. I'm having fun doing this. So I never. Put much stock into a two inch piece of cloth because I was just having fun training um, and even now I'll sometimes go to seminars where people will complain about x y or z rank or who has what side of the tape is on or what name your embroiderers is like do you want me to just wear a black belt blank black belt I have it I don't care like I just want to train I won't wear a belt at all if you don't want me to I, normally I'll carry a white belt with me in the instance of like I can just wear this I don't care
0: Cool, cool. So yeah. so you just kept going through, and you kept going never with the intention of wanting to,
1: to get the black belt. You just liked the training, and you continued the training. And, I just wanted to do the best I could every time. And that was obsessive. I'm still pretty obsessed with it, but I never cared about being recognized for the obsession.
0: And for you and your school, I guess we should mention um, who... What school you were training out of or is it is it the same school you're training out of now or did you...
1: so there was there's a big circle there I started training at the Yamakan Kajikembo school under Tony morell um, who unfortunately passed away last year um, but I started training with him I went through him I went with him from white belt all the way up to about brown belt um, we went our separate ways when I went to college but the grandmaster above him gave me a call and said like it's unacceptable that you are you're not walking away from the from the style. You've been one of the most devoted students. So here's what we're going to do is very much, very similar to my yellow belt experience. He's like you're going to he's based out of Shreveport. He says you're going to come to Louisiana. You're going to train with me and I'm going to give you your first three black belts. I've already cleared it up. Not a big deal, but it's in you're not going to walk away from all this time you've invested. And I said, "Okay." Um so I get the black belt and I continue training like that and he said when I get my black belt, he tells me And I'm sure you know this as a fellow kajukimbo. He's like, you have to continue your training. Um, I would prefer you don't continue your kajukimbo training. I want you to go do something else and then bring it back to me next year. Let me see what you've learned. And then at that point, we can discuss what we're going to do for second degree. And at that point, what can we do for third degree? Um, After I get my second degree, degree, um, Professor Morrell calls me and he says, hey, how's it going? And we never lost touch at this point. We're still talking pretty often, but I'm not training with him anymore. He says, I need a kickboxing instructor um, two times a week. Can you come help me out? I said, sure, no problem. I go start teaching there, and then, unfortunately, he passed away last year, but his business partner asked me to cover for him when we didn't know what had happened yet. And then after the after the dust had settled, after we'd settled the, the memorial, everything, he says, can you just stay on as the instructor? He would want you to stay on. And it wasn't a question for me at that point. I said, like, yeah, of course I'm going to stay. Like He wouldn't want me to stay here. so.
0: And my condolences on on losing your instructor, by the way. Like,
1: Thank you.
0: Yeah, if if that's um, that's a real heavy experience because those people are, oh, their family. mhm Right. So, like, I know it's, it's it was, not it's not something to lightly be said, like for anyone listening. Like that's that's a real, it must be really tough to talk about it. Because I mean, I don't, I still, I'm luckily enough that I still have my. My Sifu, now professor, um, he's still around. We lost a grandmaster, and that was tough on us, and I wasn't that close, that close to the grandmaster, but it was still tough because he's still family. So, like, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, was, it was initially pretty tough because, when, I mean, when you have a martial arts instructor, you have a teacher, you have a mentor, you have a friend. And then he's in his – when I meet him, he's in his late 40s. I'm a teenager, uh, stubborn-ass kid. And there's just kind of that father-son relationship that that forms from that naturally, just when you have that age gap in two men. Um, And he always wanted to be that father figure for me. And you know, I was, when we started, when I started going off to college, I was 18. So there was that separation of like, I need to be seen like a man and you're treating me like a kid, like the same kid that walked in. Um, But he was always looking out for me. Um, He was always trying to help me in the right direction, even if I didn't want him to, which could be annoying at times. But when you, when that's gone, when that person passes away, You're like, that's four relationships. That's four people in one that I just lost. Um, And so that was something that was difficult to deal with. And then immediately, like, the next week, I start walking into the same space he walked into, standing where he stood. And I'm like, he's going to come out from around the corner at some point, right? Like, he's going to tell me, just kidding. I wanted to see what you would do. And then that hasn't happened. It's been almost a year, and that hasn't happened. So,
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's rough, man.
1: It's it's not easy.
0: Um, Like I said, it's like losing family, and I've lost. Mm -hmm. I did. I lost my dad to cancer ten years ago, and I know that feeling of. Hey, it's just like, I don't know. Like, they're gone, but it's a weird feeling. Like, it's not like they're gone. It's like they went on a trip, and they're just gonna come back any minute now, right? Like expecting them to call you.
1: It's that. It's that. It's that next day walking into where he was. You're just like. Come back in the room, like I don't want to be doing this for you. I don't want to fill in for you. Yeah. And sometimes I still have days where I'm like, I'm just filling in until he gets back, and then yeah, he's no, there's no coming back.
0: Yeah. That, that, that's 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 something you carry with you, man. That's something you carry with yeah. you, and that's something that uh, it will always be there. I, I'd lo, I'd love to say it goes away, but it doesn't. It'll always be there. But it's something that yeah. develops character. So that's definitely. Um. Again, sorry for your loss, and um. And I commend you to continue to practice and be in there, and, and that's what, and continue to live on his legacy because that's what we're all here for, right? Is to live on our, right. our instructors' legacies. So you got your black belt. You went out there. You did kickboxing. You brought it back. And start teaching kickboxing. Did you do any competition? Did you do any like kickboxing competitions?
1: The only competitions I've ever done um, have been. Because at the university I went to, they had actually Kembo as a class you could take. Oh, I mean, it was called karate, but it was kajukenbo. Um So I went to that. I took the class. I was like, well, whatever. I, that's an easy A, and it's something I want to do. Um, they had end-of-class tournaments every year. That's how you got your final grade. You did competed in the tournament. And so I did that for my, I think, two or three years in a row. And so you're only graded on the first one. Um, after that, it's like you just fodder for the kids who are actually trying to get the grade. Um, so I did two or three competitions, but I wouldn't count that. It was point sparring. It was in school. So it wasn't like they were going to let you hurt anybody. Um, I never actually had any interest in co- competition. Um, it was just, I always wanted to practice martial arts. I never had an interest in competing in it. I just wanted to do it. That being said, the door is open for me to wake up tomorrow and say, you know what? I want to start training for a fight. Uh, a couple of my friends, I train in Muay Thai a couple of times a week and a couple of friends of mine are like, do you want to start training with us? We could do it. Like Fight team comp train with us. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <But> I-
0: <laughs> and how how old are you now? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, right now I'm 27. Oh damn! Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm you you got plenty of time to compete. Exactly. You yeah, You got plenty of time to compete. Like I'm um, I'm 38, so I, I need to stop. I have no choice in the next two years. Here, it's gotta. It's, gotta <laughs> it's got to can't, stop. I, I can't compete. And I, I'm, not big answer, on, I'm not big on competing, but I, I definitely got to stop doing MMA while I have enough brain cells left to continue right. to do the podcast. <laughs>
1: See, that's the thing. The thing I tell people is I don't compete because I just want to do martial arts. And that's true. But the other thing is I do martial arts obsessively. I do it. It's my full-time job. I wake up thinking about it. I study about it. I read about it. I write about it if I decide to compete in MMA, in kickboxing, in point sparring, that will become the obsession. And then I won't stop. Like if I lose once, it'll be the end of the world for me because I will not stop until I come back and beat that exact same person in the exact same way, at the exact same weight, in the exact same spot. I'm like, I just can't, I can't do that to myself because I have an obsessive personality. I know it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And again, there's a difference between, depending on what your goals are, there's a difference between the mindset between competing, the competing mindset and the teaching mindset. And I'll tell you from experience, it's really hard to combine the two. Mm. Um, it's going to hurt. It, there, you'll, you'll hear, there's a lot of experiences of people who are MMA fighters, professional UFC fighters even talk about how they'll open their school as a supplementary income to their fighting career. They'll start dedicating time to the students and it starts taking away from their fighting, they'll lose a fight, and then they have to make a decision again. All right, am I going to focus more on my career as a martial artist in teaching, or am I going to focus more on my career as a fighter? And those two things are really hard to mix, especially if you already have responsibilities as an instructor. It's really hard to just essentially feel like, even if you hand them off to another good instructor, you'll still feel like you abandon your students to go Mm -hmm. pursue your own... Path, if you will.
1: So, yeah. So, I have three students right now that I have a 68 year old woman who has never done martial arts a day in her life. Well, I guess she has for a couple months now, but had previously not. I have my best friend from childhood who I didn't see for about a decade, started training with me. And I have this 15 year old kid who I don't, I think if you look up low self esteem in the dictionary, you'll find a picture of him. Those three people, when you see them accomplish something in martial arts, like, when when the lady first pulls off her six-punch combination for the first time, when my friend does a spinning sidekick, and when this kid, we're working on him getting his forward roll down, when he gets that much closer to his forward roll, there's a light in his face, and I'm like, that's why I'm not going to compete, because I, I feel special helping him do that. I love seeing people get better, especially knowing that they, we both care about each other, and we want to help their goal, that just... It, that's the moment that I live for. That's the moment that I teach for. Every time I have a rough day, and there are some rough days. Martial arts isn't always fun. There are some days where you're like, man, I wish I could do literally anything else. But then the person standing next to you is like, I just did my first spinning sidekick. Let me show you. And I'm like, all right, it's my, I'm going to do my first spinning sidekick with you now. I'm feeling it again. That's cool. That's
0: cool. And you, um, is your primary employment martial arts or do you have like another thing that you do on the side or is it are you a full-time martial arts instructor
1: i'm a full-time martial arts instructor right now i teach i teach kajakembo monday wednesday saturday and tuesday thursdays i teach cardio kickboxing Um, and i've started producing my own youtube channel um, that originally was just supposed to be videos to hold us over during quarantine so while people were stuck at home i was like i'm gonna produce these half hour lessons that my students can do at home that way they don't feel like they're missing out on anything um, turns out i enjoy doing that so i've launched my own youtube channel um, not part of the dojo The do- originally which is the dojos now i have combat self-defense which is my own channel where i can say fuck if i want to which is great really hard for me to talk on camera if i can't um and then i can talk about the things i want to talk about because i do more than just kaju kembo so i can bring those things in um, and that the goal eventually is for that to bring in money but like I said, I produced the channel myself because my full-time gig used to be filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I used to make everything from feature films to short films to commercials to web content and TV. Um, turns out what people don't tell you is that martial arts is a much more stable career than filmmaking, especially during pandemic times. So it used to be filmmaking, full-time, martial arts on the side. Now it's martial arts, full-time, and video linked to martial arts on the side. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's... um. And that, that, again that's that's a different track. Like um for me, I uh, I never really I mean I've I've always taught martial arts, but for me my primary was uh, I I feared the idea that what I love to do would become my 9 to 5 and I would have the attitude of my 9 to 5 on what I love to do. So I was afraid about that. I didn't want yeah. to worry about the financial stress of running uh dojo, I've seen my, I saw my instructor going through that and I personally mm-hmm. didn't want to go through it. So like for me, it's something that I do. I mean, I, obviously I built my own MMA gym out here in Japan. So
1: like, <laughs> I, uh, which can't have been easy. The Japanese MMA scene, I know about that. So
0: yeah, it was, you know, it was, uh, it was mostly for me cause I live in the middle of nowhere, but like, again, the, I, the, the concept of running, a business and running a successful dojo it's definitely stressful even the best of the best have a difficult time with it like you're mm-hmm. sharing your space with a, a, another person right like three or four other people in, in your dojo or your your gym you've got like four or five mm-hmm. different instructors yeah run, running a building you got um during this pandemic times you know you had people i don't know if you saw john Hackelman talking about the things he was going through trying to keep his he's got he's a ufc yeah. coach right and he was having he's mm-hmm. having a hard time trying to keep everything running and yeah. So yeah, I definitely um, have a lot of respect for you folks that are doing that. Um, but yeah, my my primary job is I'm a, I'm an ESL teacher, so I teach English second language. Oh, nice. And then I jump out and, and teach martial arts and, and in the mornings and in the evenings. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's um, that's something else. So you, as you mentioned, you have your YouTube channel. I saw some of your stuff. Really good work. Um, Thank you. If, for those of you who are listening, uh, what's the name of the YouTube channel again? combat self defense combat self defense no um yeah. he does have a background in filmmaking so if for some reason you're on you my youtube channel and you've seen my training videos you'll notice that i really don't give a fuck like about <laughs> 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 about the film behind it i got i got shit to do so like here, yeah. here's the material and honestly i didn't even want to make a series but my students kept asking me for it cuz i have students that will train with me and then go to france and
1: mm-hmm.
0: take off and they want to train and come back so I put something together for them, but yeah, it's if you're if you see my shit, like his stuff is way more like way more organized and
1: <laughs> a lot more professional. You should check it out. It's obsessed. It's, it's, it's obsessed. Just saying. It's, it's really it's
0: it's good. No, it's really good. It's, it's 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 what a YouTube video is supposed to look like. I don't know how many people have trolled my stuff saying, "Why don't you do it and this and blah blah?" and you should add I don't know graphics and blah blah. And as you can tell by the way i'm talking about it i don't really put that time (laughs) into it but he does so definitely check out his youtube channel so before i i wrap things up i still have a few more questions for you what was your black belt test like we kind of briefly mentioned we kind of skimmed over like i had my black belt and then i went and did this uh got the first degree in louisiana but what was it like what what did you have to do what because everybody's everybody's if for those of you listening, every Kajukenbo school is different, and every Kajukenbo school has different uh, testings. So, mm-hmm. what was your test like? What did you have
1: to go through? It was again really similar to my nijutsu test, wherein I walk. I mean, first of all, I drove eight hours to go do this test, which I was told was not going to be a test. Uh, but I walk in. We start. You know, we have dinner, and then we walk into um, Grandmaster Vera's living room dojo. He's got a suite setup. He has his house and then like you walk through a hallway and you're in a dojo now. It's pretty awesome. Um, and then it's just him and me at this point. And he says, run me through all your material. Let me see you do it. And I say, okay. Um, I start running through the forms. And he's like, ah, whatever. He doesn't. He has zero stock in forms. So he's like, just <laughs> do them once and move on. And I'm like, okay. And then he's like, do the self-defense techniques. And I'm like, all right. Do, we have, do I have an uke? What am I doing? He goes, I want to see you do them. I want to see you do them with your eyes closed. Okay. And I want you to tell me what you're doing okay, I do it to the best of my ability. I do mess up quite a few times because I've never done them talking out loud with my eyes closed. And then he says, okay, great. And then he shows me some of his stuff. Um, He has an extensive background in Aki Jiu-Jitsu. So he shows me some of that. He shows me two or three times and then he's like, let me see you do it on me. And I do it to him and he's like, all right, great. Then he corrects me for like 20 minutes on, your foot was pointed this way. It should have been there. So do it again. I'm like, okay, great. He goes, no, you were at 12 o'clock and you turned it to 1158. I told you. There, I'm like, oh, of course, I should have known. The next day it comes up, so this is a three day test apparently. The next day it shows up, and now all of his students are there. First item on the menu is we're all gonna spar. Not we're all gonna spar Rob, we're all gonna spar, but they all end up sparring Rob. Um, <laughs> and again, I'm not under the impression that I'm being tested, I'm just like, this must be what they do. And then it comes back again, I'm like, let me see that technique I showed you last night. Okay. He's like, oh, great, you went from 12 o'clock to 11.59, just like I wanted you to, or whatever it was supposed to be. And I'm like, yeah, that was on purpose. It wasn't just a fluke. And he says, great. So we keep training. And he says, all right, great. Get yourself a belt. Like, what do you mean? He goes, order, order it off Amazon. I'll get you your, uh, your belt certificate and everything. He's like, but you're going to wear the belt. I'm like, you don't want me to wear the one, like, I don't get one with my name on it? He's like, that's second degree. I'm like, Did you see how easy this weekend was? Yeah, sure. <laughs> he goes, great, so get yourself a belt, I'll get you certificate, we'll start training tomorrow. Okay, great. That's the test. That's how relaxed this guy is. But it was, it's high pressure in the sense that I, I can almost guarantee you he's wanting to see how I want to react to the low pressure. Later on, he tells me, the reason, the most important thing was you closing your eyes and telling me how your techniques work. If you can describe it to me without a person to do it on, then I know you know what you're doing. And he's like, and I've seen you training for six or seven years at this point. So I know, you know what you're doing.
0: And what was, um, for those of, for my listeners and viewers that don't know what Kaju Kembo sparring is, um, can you go a little into details? What the, what the sparring, what were the rules for the sparring?
1: This is the crazy part. Normally you're sparring in your gi or in shorts. You have boxing gloves on, you have shin pads on, you have a cup on, um, he, Grandmaster Vera at his dojo, his home dojo, doesn't do gis. He actually gets actively insulted if you train in a gi. Um, he also gets actively insulted if you train in MMA shorts. He's like, you're going to train in what you wear every day. Don't wear jeans because it's going to be a pain in the ass. Uh, but he's like, train in what you're going to wear every day. So I say, okay. And that's how we spar. You can wear boxing gloves if you bring them. He's not going to supply them for you. But you're going to wear your shorts and a t-shirt and you're going to spar in that. And it's anything goes rules. Now, these guys are nice. They're not going straight for the groin, but they're letting me know they could have if they wanted to. Yeah, that's, that's
0: a very Koji Kemba thing to do.
1: <laughs> there's a few times of like, oh, and this is him. He's, so he has his computer right here in the corner where he's sitting and he's kind of like in a wheelie chair turning and looking at us. He goes, oh, there's a knife now. There's a stick now. Someone better get it. Yeah. So Yeah, we His love
0: guy. I love doing yeah. we love I love every country combo guy loves to throw off anybody that comes in from another martial art like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or or MMA and we'll we'll wait for them to start rolling around in the grappling and throwing a knife and be like, Oh knife, knife, yep. knife,
1: knife. <laughs> and I've never dealt with that before. It's always been if when we do weapon sparring, you walk in with a weapon, you know I'm gonna have this stick, he's gonna have this knife. So the fact that he was like, Oh, Hot knife, hot potato. Uh, okay, what do you want me to do? Do we stop? What do you want? Me to
0: do? <laughs> yeah, the, that um, and that concept. I was talking to Sifu John Hojlo out of uh. Shout out to Sifu John Hojlo. I'm wearing your shirt, man. Got your Kazukimbo Kayama shirt on today. Um, he uh, he was telling me about how his instructor made that a big part of their curriculum because he did security and he heard heard a story about same thing. There was two guys fighting. One of them looked like they had a background in jujitsu and they started rolling on the ground and suddenly someone threw a knife in and the person who threw the knife, they still don't know who they threw the knife for. Like the knife was thrown into the fight. Maybe it was the person winning or losing, but that exercise is really important Mm -hmm for defense because of the idea that maybe your, your buddy is the one who tosses you the knife, but once a knife is out there, it's live, right? There's no safety in a knife. So whoever grabs it yeah. first, so that, that's, that's where that comes from. For those of you listening, like, why are they doing that? <laughs> why are they throwing knives into their training? Yeah. That, yeah.
1: That moment and that kind of experience completely changed the way I view and teach martial arts because Kembo was sold to me and all the media will say, Kajukembo, self-defense, enter, institute, system, organization, whatever, it's self-defense. But when you look at a lot of Kajukembo dojos, it's really just karate in a black gi, or karate with some judo, or sometimes they're doing katana forms. They never—I actively would get yelled at if I started sparring and throwing leg kicks— Or I started saying, no one's going to thrust at you with the knife and leave it out there while you do an arm lock or whatever. They're going to jab at you really quickly and stab you 50 times before you recognize it's happening. For me, I'm like, we need to focus on the self-defense. There needs to be a thousand drills like hot knife, hot stick. You're fighting in a corner now. Oh, second buddy. Oh, you have a buddy now, but your buddy doesn't know how to fight. Because self-defense is, I mean, A, self-defense is more than just violence. And we need to pay a lot more than just lip service to it. We can't just say, try to de-escalate. I try to teach my students at least at least the beginning of class of like, here's how we're gonna walk away from this situation. But when it's time to party, it's time to party. And here's how we're gonna party. And don't get, con- we train in the boxing gloves, we train with the shin guards on, we train very combat sports oriented because I think combat sports is the fastest way to learn self defense. But there's also the aspect of while you're over here doing one, two, three high kick, his buddy's coming around behind you and is gonna grab you by the neck. What are you going to do now? Or there's now a police officer. you got to stop becoming the aggressor right away. I try, I try to keep that in mind for my students as much as I can because I don't want it to just be karate in a blackie or I don't want it to just be an MMA class. I want us to be kajukenbo self-defense.
0: Yeah. And again, it's about... And for, the, for those of you listening again and my viewers, if you're learning anything from the Kembo series, you're going to notice that... I, I always say this. Every Kembo school has a different focus. And they have a reason for that. There's a reason. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm never knocking the idea. I know that some people's programs succeed really well with the point karate system and they focus on that. Not to say that they don't teach the self-defense, they'll teach yeah. everything, but everybody kind of focuses on, on their niche, if you will. Mm-hmm. And... um and that's what? at your school, you know, they're they're focusing. You're focusing on the self-defense side and on how to de-escalate a uh, situation and, and and situational awareness and that kind of stuff. And then some Kaju kempo schools, like John Hackleman school, is focusing on making MMA fighters for the mm-hmm. UFC. So, like, every Kaju kempo school is different, and that's something I'd like anyone who's listening to the Kaju Kimble series to kind of. Hopefully, you can kind of pick that up from yeah. the different people. That's why I like to interview. People are like, wow, well, you should interview this Grandmaster and that Grandmaster and this Grandmaster. And I love talking to Grandmasters. they got some great history. But I still mm. like talking to some of the younger folks because it gives it, I hope, I'm hoping, for people listening to the Kembo series, you're going to kind of get a good variety. Because at the same time, I'm always saying Kajukenbo is always evolving, right? right? So like John Hackleman's Kajukenbo Kembo. Hawaiian Kempo, as he likes to say, yeah. is has evolved from Godin's Kaju Kempo, mm-hmm. where he where he came from, and from the, from the back on the island, and and then my instructor's Kaju Kempo is different from from his grandmaster, Grandmaster Allen's Kaju Kempo, who focused a lot on on the Kung Fu side and the Tai Chi, mm-hmm. and then my Kaju Kempo is different from my instructor's Kaju Kempo because I started competing out in in Japan doing MMA, so like yeah, that's something I hope. I would hope people listening can kind of pick up. And I really do encourage you to to check out. Um, to not, if you meet someone who does Kaja Kembo, because I had someone online be like, I sparred a blue belt from Kaja Kembo and, you know, I wrestled into the ground and blah, blah, blah. Kaja Kembo's not all that. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know who you sparred.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I don't know I, who you sparred. I don't know how good he was. Yeah, was he having a bad day? Yeah. Or did I, you just surprise, like, what? That's so. I don't, I don't know. It's so much in the air. Like, yeah. How can you judge that?
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. All I can say is, if you really truly want to experience kajukenbo for what it is, um, I think the one way you could really experience it would be to go to a kajukenbo tournament. That'd be mm-hmm. a really good way to get a better idea of what I'm talking about. I wouldn't even say going into a kajukenbo school, because again, yeah. you might go into that one school, and who knows? Maybe you came in on a kids class, and they're focusing on mm-hmm. points sparring because they're not going to be teaching how to do a ground and pound to a kid. So like. Right. So the, one of the best things you could do would be to go to the big tournament in Las Vegas. They hold it once a year. This year it was canceled cuz of COVID, but yep. over there is a great way to see. I don't even do they
1: charge? Do they charge to spectate? I think it's free to spectate, right? I think spectating is free. And this year yeah. was the first year I got a formal invitation and I'm so mad that it got canceled. <laughs> oh, that sucks. I got a formal invitation
0: too. I had actually I got told by cuz I've been doing the podcast. I had a few people kind are you coming? You better be coming. And I'm like, yeah. It's so hard because, like, it cost me a lot of money to come from right. Japan. <laughs> I'm
1: like, I'll, yeah. I'll look
0: into it. I'll, I'll see what I can do. And then it got canceled. But yeah.
1: Yeah. I got a formal imitation to that one. And I was like, mm, did it. <laughs> Legitimacy. And then COVID happened. And I'm like, all right, slow your roll. Slow your roll. Relax a little bit. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't care that much. Didn't mean, didn't mean that much to me. <laughs> But, yeah, like, uh, that's a great
0: opportunity. Spectating yeah. is free. Um, mm-hmm. You can look it up online. They're going to have it next year. And you're going to – when you go there, you're going to see that they have a bunch of categories, no-gi, uh, no-gi grappling, uh, ju- uh, no-gi grappling, jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, point sparring, kids, adults, forms. You go there and you'll, see, you'll get a better idea of what we're talking about.
1: Um, yeah, kajukenbo is the charcuterie plate of martial arts. You're going to get a bit of everything and you, you have to be willing to do that. And there are some aspects of it that I'm like, I don't like the way that salami tastes. Don't ever present it to me again. I don't want to do that again. But with Kaiju Kembo, you have the freedom to dislike aspects of it and never do it again. Yeah. But once you get your black belt, you don't have to do forms ever again if you don't want to.
0: Which brings you me have- to my last question that I had All for right. you. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> what is your thoughts on traditional <clears throat> training like forms and, uh, and your type of training? Well, what are your thoughts on it?
1: I'm about to lose my job. <laughs> <laughs> I, if you ask me, I would never make a kaiju Kemboist do a form in my life, never make them do it unless they wanted to do forms, unless I thought they needed to do forms, which is a complicated way of saying it depends on the student, but if you're talking about a healthy person walking in telling me they want to learn kaiju Kembo self-defense, why am I going to teach you forms that is going to teach you how to fight over the course of eight years? And in a very esoteric and broad kind of way, it's like if I tell you, it's like if you walk up to me and say, I want to learn how to wood carve. And I say, great, here's a knife, there's an oak tree. Figure it out. That's the way forms are for me. And I'm like, I can also just easily teach you a one-two sprawl. I can just teach you that. And you can more or less master that in about a day. And you're going to feel like you walked away from it without memorizing a form. Because that's what you're doing. You're memorizing how to do a form. You're not really learning how to use it until years later on. And so as a student, and this is me saying this as Rob, not as the kajukembo instructor, not as a martial artist. As a student, your time is being wasted because you're not being taught the thing you were asked to be taught. And as an instructor, I'm being lazy because I'm saying, go do that thing and I'll talk to you when you mess up, when you don't do the quarter turn and then low block and you should have done quarter turn high block. Um, But that being said, not everyone walks into my room wanting to learn self-defense. Not everyone walks into the room wanting to fight. And some people walk into the room wanting to fight, but they have a back injury. They have a leg injury. They're coming off something that they can't fight with. So they have to do forms because that's the closest I'm going to be able to get them to doing the thing that I want them to do. You have to scale the training, and forms are a great way to do that. And forms are a great way to teach hopefully I'll get to this point, 40 people at one time. You know, what I've learned with COVID is that you can do forms on Zoom. It's really hard to teach. I don't recommend it. I would love to stop doing that. But you can be like, all right, guys, we're going to do X, Y, and Z form 10 times, and then we're going to call it. Super easy to do. Again, I think it's, it, it's just a good go-to to do with forms. But in a perfect world, we would take the forms from Kajukebu. I feel like they should be a warm-up. I feel like it should be a thing we do to get you loosened up and ready for the actual training. Being ranked on forms, I think, is ridiculous. I think you should be learning practical things. I think we should do a lot more jiu-jitsu and a lot more Muay Thai kickboxing-style stuff in Kaiju And I think where the curriculum could fit that in is if we just stick to five forms. Just do five forms, and the rest will be groundwork. The rest will be learning how to throw a proper punch and not chamber down to your hips.
0: How many, um, how many forms are in your style of Kajikembo?
1: When I got, so like I said, Grandmaster Vera under his school this is zero forms. He doesn't do them. Um, and a lot of the Southwest United States schools don't do forms period. Um, but a lot of them do. And, uh, Professor Morell's style had 17 forms okay. at the time that I got my black belt. And I believe now they're up to 21, Uh, His business partner has more, I think, Um, so it's between 17 and 21 forms Um, He would scale off so you'd learn five forms to get your yellow belt and then Two or three forms from orange to purple and then everything after that was I think another two or three forms now I think it's three 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 and three Um, But something something in the area of 17 to 21 is what I recall Um, The issue with our style is that it's Kimbo hungar kung fu there's a lot of hungar forms
0: uh, so you got the Tiger Crane in there then. You have Tiger Crane. Oh, yeah.
1: Fuhok? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right.
0: All right. Yeah. And I mean, again, I think that's something you will find in the traditional Kaju Kembo schools when c- compared to the Hawaiian Kembo with an M schools, like John Hackleman's school, where the, you got that divide in the, in the mm-hmm. thinking where s- some people are throwing away forms altogether and some people are still teaching forms and they usually have... Uh, I'm seeing, and that, that's why I've, I've been interviewing a lot of people asking them this question is because I'm kind of seeing a, a universal hypothesis of mine is that there's about 10 core, there's about mm-hmm. 10 core, uh, sets known as the Pinon sets or the Palama sets that vary in the way they're performed throughout the schools. But there's about 10 core yeah. ones that every school keeps.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then there's about – then from there the instructor will go off into either Kung Fu or something else or maybe yeah. some more piña because I know the official – I have a DVD set. I don't know if you saw this, man. I put up the official Kaju Kembo DVD set. Shout out to – Oh. Shout out to – oh, he's going to kill me. Hold on a second. Am I going to am I gonna have to edit? Uh, 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 fourback, Gary, fourback, grandmaster,
1: Grandmaster, Grandmaster, great, great. He gave me a shout out on Facebook a couple days ago. Yeah, 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 Edit edit it this way here, edit it this way. Uh, those are Gary, fourback DVDs, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, (laughs) I'm not gonna edit it. I'm just gonna, (laughs) I should, I should, I'm bad with names. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mr. Fourback, grandmaster, fourback, I believe. Sorry, I'm really bad on names. Um, Especially because Fourback is directly related to my school. He's uh he's he re- he's worked with uh Shizuel and Abad which was, which was the That's what
1: I'm saying, just edit story. it, put it on me. Let's pretend like I didn't No I didn't no I,
0: I own <laughs> I, I own all my all my fuck ups. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to be perfect. But um sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great series. And if you look at the series, there's a part in there that talks about the forms, talks about all the pignon sets. But I I believe there's like fifteen pignon sets. But either way, that's uh um, so and that, that series right there actually covers the core curriculum like there's a lot of arguments about what's the core curriculum what's the real project Kembo. I, I don't really go into that argument but i will say that this dvd series is the only dvd series or one of the i don't know maybe there's other ones out there before i even say that i don't want fucking people tripping out on me um it's one of the dvd series where sijo the original founder of kaju Kembo, starts it off saying i have Watched all these techniques, and this is the I officially recognize this as our as our curriculum. This is what I yeah. learned, and I I I, I stamp. You no, know, he put his stamp of approval on
1: mm-hmm. on that. I think Kembo <laughs> not suffers. I don't want to say suffers. I think Kembo is dealing with a ship of Theseus scenario, wherein um, I'm not assuming you don't know. I'm just going to say it out loud so I can explain it best. The ship of Theseus says you have this ship and you take it to a port and you replace a couple of planks on it. You replace masts, you replace the sails and you take it to another port, you replace a couple other pieces, you do it again down the line. How many times do you replace the original pieces of that boat before it becomes a brand new boat? Or is it ever a brand new boat? How long until you have something that's totally different? I think Kaju Kembo is, is going to always exist in that state of like, this is what happened in the Palama settlement. This is what they did then. And then it became this when it came to the mainland, and then it went to Japan, and they started doing something else. And then it came back to the mainland, and they added something else. Is it still Kajukenbo? Yeah. Is it what they did in 1947? No. Kind of. You know, yeah. I think that's the thing we have to reconcile as, as students from a parent who lets us do whatever we want, essentially.
0: <laughs> and if you want to check out... Um, uh, I'm releasing this podcast with you in july but before i release this i'm going to release a Kajukenbo series black belt meeting that i had with uh john hojlo and his idea of the black belt meeting is we we have like about an x amount of shots in between the podcasts and we, <laughs> we pick a topic to rant over I and i uh, love the idea of that and we uh when we got into it he was mentioning the same thing about how 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 things change, and we we kind of we kind of talk a little bit about what that relates to as far as like in kaju uh, like just the example you just said we're the me and John are the only two kaju kempo instructors in Japan, mm-hmm. and we were talking about how the acronym kaju kempo really does prepare you whether or not you like forms, right? Because mm. I personally fucking hated forms, like I fucking hated them. I only came in. I only wanted to fight. That's why I, mm-hmm. I didn't come in with no obsessions to become anything. My obsession was not getting jumped by gang members. That was my obsession. That's all. The yep. only reason I fucking did it. I didn't care about competing. Didn't care about anything. I just didn't want to get jumped. I didn't want to get shot. Those are the yep. two things I didn't want. That's why I went to Kajukenbo because everywhere else I went. I see people. I saw people doing forms. I'm like, I don't know how this is gonna help me against three essays. Yeah. Like, dude, I got.
1: It'll I got, maybe help you 15 years down the road in a very specific kind of way.
0: Like I said, I, I couldn't at the time. I couldn't see the connection. Yeah. But um, my instructor was really cool. Like when I went to the College of Kimball School, I'm like, oh man, these people are they're really fighting, and they have forms, whatever. But hey, they're yeah. really fighting. At least they're really fighting at the end of it. Mm. So like, what I did like about it though, after my, my, my mentality changed, I you know I I changed my outlook. What I did like about the way – coming to martial arts from that aspect is you are more open to be able to enter other styles. And I think that's where Khaji Kembo really does help you. The, the, mm-hmm. the Ka for karate, the Ju for judo, jiu-jitsu, even if they don't focus too much on Brazilian jiu-jitsu, the kempo, uh, mm-hmm. Chinese boxing, the boxing and the kickboxing and the kung fu. It's yep. a good mix and a good base to pretty much walk in to any style, any dojo, any kun, any gym, and mm-hmm. not be respectful, be a quote-unquote white belt as you walk in with the white belt mentality, but mm-hmm. still have a base where you it's hang. not foreign to you. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I, when I walked into my first Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class, it wasn't—they weren't showing me something that was like. I wasn't a fish out of water. I was like, okay, I have right. an idea of what's happening here. In fact, I've seen this technique. I haven't seen it applied like this, but I could immediately connect the dots. Yeah. As compared to just coming in, like if when I compare, because I I, uh, I coach out and I coach, I have my gym, and then I also do coaching in um, in Kobe, a city nearby, at an MMA gym. And I'll have guys. I I coach between. I'll coach the kickboxing one day, and I'll do the no-gi class the next day. Like the, you know whoever <clears throat> whoever they need me to be. I'll jump in. If I have an MMA guy with a fight, I'll focus on one person and get him ready for a fight. But um, what I did notice is if I get a judo guy, and he's got a black belt. He is a black belt in judo. And he's competed in the professional competitions close to the Olympics out here, right? And he's really good at judo. But I get that same black belt, and I make just one simple adjustment. They've never done Brazilian jiu-jitsu, or they've never done no-gi grappling. I say, okay, Mm -hmm. take off the gi, let's do some no-gi grappling. And it's like, it's like they never learned anything. Yep. They got so used to the rules of starting with grabbing here, and so used to the rules that no one's gonna do a double leg takedown or shoot on you mm-hmm. that suddenly I know exactly what to do that they're not prepared for, it. and they're so not prepared for it that when they hit the ground, yep. they're just like, ah, I don't know, I don't know what, I don't know. It's like being a, it's like being almost a true white belt all over again, and that's just a simple adjustment in an art that's supposed to give them a base in grappling, right? So, like, one thing I am I thankful – oh, go ahead.
1: I, I add um, – so my, my co-teacher, the, the owner of the business that I teach at, um, he is very much in the – when we're doing karate, we're doing karate. When we're doing judo, we're doing judo, and never the two shall meet. So when he teaches judo, he sticks to only judo rules. I've done wrestling. I've done jiu-jitsu, and I've done grappling for MMA. And so every time we do that, I'll be like, hey, guys, by the way, here's how you do an ankle pick. And it just completely ruins his life. <laughs> because all this, like grabbing two collars, shift the weight. Oh, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a Russian necktie now. We're gonna do we're gonna do a hip toss. We're gonna do a high crotch. They're like all the judo stuff. Not all of it, but immediately in the immediate, it becomes useless because I don't know how to react to that. You're not grabbing my arms anymore. And for me, that's that's the chess game that Kaiju Kembo is. It's like, oh, you got a guy who's a black like you were saying a black belt in judo. I'm gonna do an ankle pick. I want to see how you react to that. You don't know how to play that game. Yeah. So I'm just not gonna play your game.
0: Yeah, and that, that's. And vice versa. I've grabbed kickboxers and brought them in to do mm-hmm. grappling, and same thing. Once they like once once they get grabbed, they don't know what to do. Like they're used to a ref breaking them up. So once mm-hmm. once you get them caught in a good clinch and you start tying up, and you're no longer clinching, and you're you're starting to you got your gable grip and you got them around the waist. That's it's done. They, and once they hit the ground, it's even more done. They don't know what to do. And yeah. that that I think I I want that's where I say like. Kajukenbo really prepares you not only for that, but also if you walk into a traditional place and they, and they are doing forms. Yeah, you you know how to kind of bl- it kind of gives you that blend in,
1: mm.
0: like you know going back to your ninjutsu philosophy, right? Being able to yeah, you to, blend in, to everything. blend in, to anything it's like yeah, kind of tying it all back to the or, beginning of the podcast. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that Kajukenbo does allow people to do, which is which I appreciate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we end, I have one question that I ask everyone. Uh, as an instructor, what's your advice for someone who doesn't know any martial arts, has no idea, has, has a clue. They want to get into it, but they don't know where to start. What's your advice for them to pick a place to train? And it doesn't have to be Kaju Kembo because maybe there's no Kaju Kembo near them. Um, mm-hmm. More like in general, what, is, what are some things that they should be looking out for that you think they should look at?
1: Um, in the practical sense, they should look for a place that's affordable and close and clean. Especially clean now in the times of COVID and post-COVID, you're going to need to make sure it's clean. In the specific sense, don't worry about a style. Unless you really want to be a jiu-jitsu player, then you better do jujitsu. Um, but don't worry about the style. If you're like, I just want to do martial arts, I just want to do something fun and do something new, who cares what the style is? Go to the dojo that you're closest to. And then worry about the instructor. Do you connect with him? And not just like in a, is he a good teacher kind of way? Is he a guy that I enjoy talking to? Does he speak to me or is he speaking at me? Am I just a client to him? If he is, don't talk to him. Don't go there. Talk to someone who wants to be your instructor, who wants to be, who cares about you, who wants to take time for you. Once you've established that this is a person that cares about my well-being and wants to see me become better at a skill, worry about the culture of that room. Is it full of people that are just as welcoming? Are they working hard? Are they lazy? Are they walking in late? Are they throwing their shoes on the mat? What kind of culture is going on in that room? If the instructor is a good person, if they care about seeing you develop, and if the culture of the gym is friendly and they all train hard, that's all you need. And it being clean. It's got to be clean. But don't worry about the style. Don't worry about anything except for the people. Literally, just worry about the people. It all, it's going to start and end with people.
0: All right. So to my listeners and viewers who are interested in training in martial arts, there's your advice from uh, Super Sensei Rob. If I <laughs> <laughs> um, Rob, where can people find you? Uh, where can they, where, what, uh, what avenues do you recommend for people to contact you? Uh, where's your gym? What's your social media
1: contact? So if you're in the Austin area, the gym is the Yamakan Kajikembo School on 10516 Manchaka Road, Suite 100. I can't believe I remember that. I'm very proud of myself. Um, we are open five days a week. We have kajukembo, kick, cardio kickboxing, jujitsu, jitsu Muay Thai, and probably a bunch of other programs that I'll just, if you ask me to do a thing with you, I'll come in in my off hours and train with you. I love training. Um, that's if you want to see me in person. If you don't, you can find me on YouTube at Combat Self-Defense. Um, I upload every Monday there. Right now I'm switching to Mondays. I used to be Saturday, but no one watched. <laughs> Um, so combat self-defense on YouTube. I'm on Facebook at rock uh, Rob Roland, and I'm on Instagram at rock period and period Roland I'm highly active on social media. I'm 27. So um, And then if you want to email me my email is Roland r-o-w-l-a-n-d dot rob at outlook.com because I'm an old person <laughs> <laughs> um, But I'm highly active and I love chatting about martial arts. I'll do it literally all day long
0: All right, so there you go hit him up if you want to train with him. He's in Austin And if you just want to chat, check out his YouTube videos, check out his social media contacts. And for my listeners, stay tuned for the wrap-up. And that's a wrap, folks. Thanks for checking out Social Jello with Angelo. And uh, we have a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, Right now I'm working on my comedy channel, Los Chingones. If you want to check out the links for that, I'll put something around at the end of this so you can check out that. It's just comedy. It's got nothing to do with what I'm doing here and you might hate it. But if you you like it, I appreciate it. Uh, anything I want to close up with oh yeah if you haven't already please hit subscribe it'll really help me out I really appreciate it and also hey check out Rob's YouTube channel and help him out by subscribing he just started that channel during the whole COVID thing he's got a great series going over uh, self-training and his gym, his facility is really great and he's got that background in film so you know great videos much better than the stuff you'll see coming on my channel (laughs) alright well I'll catch you all later Peace.